I have an update on my uh, review of early times. Um, it goes down too too easily. It's uh, it is early times, but I'm afraid of late times because late times are going to be rough. Welcome to another Bourbon and Breaches, where we review one of our favorite bourbons and the top five most interesting data breaches from the last week. I'm Steve. I'm Shu. I'm Miguel. I'm Nikki. Great. And uh, let's go ahead and jump right into the bourbon. I'm going to share my screen because today we are doing early times. Uh, early times, bottled in bond. So you can see it right here. Uh, this is another San Francisco World Spirit Competition double gold winner. So uh, I've just given up on trying to find bourbons uh, on my own and I'm purely going by the double gold uh, winner list. And it's done so well for us before. Um, so I've never had early times uh, until I tried this bottle. Um, hadn't even heard of it. Um, had anyone heard of early times? Looks cool. Never I heard haven't it. heard of it, never tried it. Um, so I was super excited because uh, I got a liter. So the smallest bottle they sell for early times bottled in bond, a hundred proof is a liter. Uh, so they don't sell anything smaller. Um, and I got it for 20 bucks. So wow. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is the cheapest double gold winner, but I think it's pretty close to being the cheapest double gold winner. So I was pretty excited um, just by the price alone. Uh, and I've tried it, but I'm going to try it again uh, fresh on camera. Um, a little bit about early times. Early times has an interesting history. Um, but before I get into the history, they have a really interesting website. For some reason, for some reason, you can toggle their website grayscale. I, I don't know why. Can everyone see that? It's grayscale. Now it's... It's color, grayscale. Huh. Um, there's no other functionality that I'm really seeing here. You know, they've got Is that a lot be for colorblind people? I don't think so. No. Because don't colorblind people see that in grayscale anyways? Yeah, yeah, it seems redundant. And for colorblind people, you usually want to stick to uh, far away colors. So yeah. uh, you'd stick to brighter colors for contrast. No, I, I don't have any clue as, as to why. Um, I guess early times, olden times, black and white, that might be the case. That's pretty good. Could be, could That's be. That's a good theory. Um, beyond uh, switching the website to Grayscale, uh, there's not much on the site. They got some dogs. Uh, hmm. They got some uh, more dogs. Uh, they got some stuff about wounded warriors, uh, a video that I can't see um some film and that's it they really have very little about their actual uh bourbon um you know they've got early times cocktails doesn't even load um so i'm not learning a whole lot about early times i had to do some research on my own if you look up their distillery it says it's the brown foreman early time distillery anyway uh brown foreman recently sold early times to Sazerac. So now it is a Sazerac uh, brand, but it's still 
labeled as the Brown Foreman Distillery in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Shu, you went on the bourbon trail. Did you stop by the Brown Foreman early time distillery? I did not. Can you zoom out? I want to see where they are. Yeah, they are northeast of downtown. Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Southwest. No. Yeah, I uh, I was not there at all. I was kind of at north central and northwest Louisville. Yep. So, Fun town. Yeah, lo looks like no matter where you go, you, you can find some good uh, <clears throat> good places to drink. Louisville's um, Plugger Museum, a lot of fun. If you're a baseball fan, go there. Nice. A uh, little short on photos as well. There's not a lot going on online with early times. Um, early times, get up your online game because this is like the only photo of their distillery. It looks just like a you know sort of gritty industrial warehouse um and we have our friends over at breakingbourbon.com for the review of uh early times um bottled in bond kentucky straight bourbon whiskey i, I also it was bugging me these names so i looked them up <clears throat> so uh straight bourbon has to be aged in two years in a charred oak container. However, if it's less than four years, they have to have an age statement on it. So uh, that's why I think the last one we had was a four-year one. Uh, and this one's also a four-year one. Um, that's the cutoff point. So you don't have to say how old it is. Um, and then Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey has to be aged for at least one year in the state of Kentucky. Um, so we are dealing today with a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Um, as opposed to what we had with Basil Hayden, this is not a uh, light bourbon. So you can see the color right away. We're dealing with some dark ambers, you know, darker brown uh, bourbon. Um, a little bit about the mash bill, we are at 79% corn, 11% rye, and 10% malted barley. Um, so you're going to generally expect some good corn notes on this. The rye will give it some spice. Uh, malted barley should give it some sweetness. Um, and I, uh, I found that this bourbon, given that it's 100 proof, you're gonna generally expect a little heat um, as opposed to the Basil Hayden we had uh, last week or the week before, I, I, don't, I don't recall. Um, Basil Hayden, 80 proof, much less heat on it. So it's really nice on the nose. I'm getting some good sweetness, some caramel. It's pleasant, it's not overpowering. So you're gonna get some heat on this um, at 100 proof. And, um, but it's, it's a sweet bourbon, uh, semi-sweet bourbon. Uh, it's smooth. It's definitely uh, a bourbon you can sip, even at, you know, a liter for 20 bucks. It's a bourbon that you can sip. Um, you know, it's not harsh. You do get a little spice from the rye, um, but it, it's, it's overall a really interesting bourbon. Um, it's uh, not, gonna sit in the background you're actually gonna taste it 
Um, you know, I'm largely getting just some pleasant flavors of uh, corn and sugar. Um, you know, they, they talk about citrus and vanilla, maybe a little bit. For, for me, it's, it's largely just sweet, a little bit of corn, um, and then some, some rice spice. Um, and it finishes uh, pretty dry. Um, I'm not getting too lingering of a taste. This is not Maker's Mark where you taste it five minutes later. Um, this is, uh, this is, you know, as you're drinking it, great. And then it, it pleasantly goes away. So you're, you're drinking it with a big old ice cube there. Mm -hmm. Just a big ice cube. Um, good for 20 bucks, huh? Yeah. Oh, I just got some citrus. Oh, that's weird. I definitely just tasted the, the citrus notes on it. I think it's opening up a little bit with the ice cube. Um, I This is definitely a buy. It's not maybe my favorite bourbon, um, but at 20 bucks for a liter, I mean, this is, this is not something you're gonna go wrong with. Um, I think, uh, give it a try. Um, and worst case scenario, you've still got a great bourbon um, at, you know, for what, um, typically, a bottle is 750 milliliters, so you're you're you know breaking out about fifteen dollars for a regular uh, regular bottle. So, um, not a big investment here. Plus, really good, uh, interesting um, bourbon. So, cheers. So that is early times bottled in bond. I'll be drinking this and most likely feeling the hundred proof pretty soon. Nikki, what do you have for us this week? Info Security Magazine headline reads, health insurer fined $5.1 million over data breach. Uh, the breach began on or before December 23rd, 2013 and dragged on until May 11, 2015. After gaining entry to Excellus Health Plan Systems, malicious hackers installed malware and conducted reconnaissance activities that ultimately resulted and the disclosure of protected health information of more than 9.3 million individuals. What are your thoughts and what can change? That's an extremely low amount they're paying out. That, that's like 50 cents a user. Yeah, I just looked it up here. Um, they reported 6 billion in revenue and uh, 171 million in profit. Um, if you look at it against profit, it's not as low, but it's still pretty low for the amount of damage done. It's incredibly low. Uh, average data breach ends up forking out a hundred bucks per user. Yeah. And it was the feds that find them, not the state. So if it was left to the state, it would have been far less, I think. I mean, um, how do you go less than 5 million when you are a 5 billion in revenue company? Yeah. I mean, this was a pretty severe breach. They were in there. Hackers were in there for 17 months. And it was, uh, let's see, what the article said it was bank account data, health plan claims. Social security. Social security, clinical Andrew. treatment information. I mean, yeah. this is pretty but severe. This is nonsense. I mean, th this is not even a slap on the wrist. $5 million payout. Like they are disincentivized to go and buy security products. 
they yeah. probably would spend more than five million on getting Splunk and a few other top tier security products in there. Like, what message is being sent to this company? Hey, um, it will cost you five million every time you do this, so just don't worry about it. Like, yeah. do it as much as you feel like. Um, I, I think it's I think it's laughable. I, I think they're they're getting off with with uh, they're getting off scot free. Um, two years of identity theft monitoring is probably the cheapest, lowest identity theft monitoring they could purchase. This this is this is a slap in the face. Um, you know, for every large headline about someone paying out because of a data breach, there's tons of these companies that just sort of scoot on by and don't pay anything. Yeah, I think one of these days people are going to be more and more upset about the slap on a wrist for these data breaches. breaches. And uh, I'm wondering if the day of reckoning will come eventually. I mean, the average consumer is so apathetic, they feel powerless about what can they really do about protecting themselves online. Um, and, and this only adds to it, right? Like, uh, you don't always get to choose who has your health information. And if they just leak it, and you're given some piddly little, you know, one bureau credit monitoring, um, uh, for two years, it's, it's nothing like the consumer is just being screwed here. Number two, ransomware attacks now to blame for half of healthcare data breaches. Ransomware gangs are increasingly adding an extra layer of extortion to attacks by not only encrypting networks and demanding hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in Bitcoin to restore them, but also stealing sensitive information and threatening to publish it if the ransom isn't paid. Ransomware is having such a moment right now. I mean, ransomware gangs are making money hand over fist. They, I mean, there's what supposed to be the first billion dollar ransomware gang this year. Um, we're we're up to monitoring twenty different gangs. We six months ago we were monitoring like one. Now we're up to twenty. Um, they they're merging. They're, they're going through rebranding, they're divesting. Like they're having an incredible moment and it's, it's because they found a revenue model that works. When, when you find a revenue model that works, like there's nothing stopping you. So no, um, everyone should, should be super afraid of ransomware and they should be doing everything in their power to make sure that, that they don't uh, get ransomware installed. Um, you can sign up with companies like Coveware to uh, protect yourself from ransomware, but that largely helps in the back end after you've already been infected. Like, no, it, this is back to basics. Everyone needs to take security extremely seriously um, because ransomware is making a killing, like the tens of millions of dollars a month to each, to each ransomware gang, just, you know, because they can. So my last job here was with a regional hospital. Um, so I have opinions on this. Um, and uh, I think one of the key things that you have to remember is, and A, there's a lot of small regional hospitals that are vulnerable. It's not just, uh, 
it's surprising to see how small operations are from on, on an operation standpoint uh, that hospitals are. Um, second of all, hospitals these days are not just about healing patients. Um, there's a very huge financial machine behind them. And also many of them, if they're not research hospitals, they're giving, they're collecting data and giving it to some sort of research institution. So you do have some sort of researcher involved in this. And hospitals in general, traditionally the security approach at hospitals has been to be so paranoid about HIPAA that they just basically do everything possible security wise, but it becomes such a complicated mess that no one really understands it down the road, especially as people turn over and retire. So um, it becomes just this, this, this cobweb spaghetti mess. And at that point, um, when you have the businessman's demands of today, um, if there's a business project that, let's say, uh, requires external collaboration, security is very quick to shut it down, say, no, we can't do that because security, and then just kind of leave it at that. And then at the same time, the business partner says, well, we need to do this anyways because of revenue and prestige and whatever. Um, and that leaves the situation where you have employees doing unsecure things. And so they do an end around on their security department. So I would say that the, um, the key philosophy that has to change with, secu with security teams in hospitals is to understand that you're not a gatekeeper to your business partners, you're a partner to your, to your business partners. You have to understand what they're trying to do and help them. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Shu. With HIPAA, my worry is always that everyone's so focused on the regulation that they're focused on being compliant, which is not the same thing as being secure. You're compliant, yep. you're not secure. Yep. And I would say there's a way of doing business that is incredibly restrictive, that's uh, HIPAA compliant, and incredibly insecure, right? Um, and you, I, I would hazard to guess how many hospitals actually do pen testing? How many hospitals actually have a reliable red team that's constantly going after them and not just going after their servers, but going after the people? Uh, most data breaches happen through people. And, and if, if you're compliant with HIPAA, but Bob in accounting is logging out of his email and logging into a personal email uh, to do things because you're so restrictive that he can't get his work done, then you're not secure, right? So it's about security and compliance. You need to be compliant, um, but you have to be secure. Uh, and if you aren't secure, you, you know, compliance will lead to fines, which are very, very bad. But insecurity will lead to ransomware, which turns out can be even worse, right? So, so pick your poison here. Uh, which you, one's cheaper? <laughs> yeah, you, well, you can't skimp. That's the thing is you- Well, apparently fines are cheaper, we've heard recently. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, unless the US gets its act together and either has a nationwide data breach law or has a standard way of enforcing 
uh, consumers' rights, um, then, then yeah, uh, th there's going to be a very low fine for uh, being insecure. But, but the hospital we talked about in the first story was very lucky, or sorry, insurance company we talked about in the first story was very lucky that that hacker group or hacker individual did not deploy ransomware. Because if they have 5 billion in revenue, well, guess what? A $5 million fine is the least of their worries when they have to pay a $50 million Bitcoin ransom, right? Um, which would only increase the value of Bitcoin. So I think what I'm saying is buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Steve's weekly Bitcoin pitch. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're, they're basically Blue Cross in New York. And if they had installed ransomware to shut down their entire operation, then not only is the company dead in the water, but anyone who went to a doctor with Blue Cross in New York would have been told, sorry. Yeah. During, during, I don't know, I guess this wasn't during COVID, but if, you know, if this happened today. Holy now comes the third story that's healthcare related. And this is going to be wrapping up our three, our three for, um, the headline reads, hackers leaked altered Pfizer data to sabotage trust in vaccines. Uh, this is a little weird. I'm trying to wrap my head. What is the, what, 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 why would you guys think that this is a useful thing to do uh, in terms of altering data and just filling? I, I'm guessing these guys are, I'm guessing that there might be some rogue hacker out there that wants to make like a political statement or wants to balance things some way. That's not very common if that was the case, because usually you don't see like political, at least I don't, I don't see like political stance when it comes to hackers. I mean, they're in for a different objective, a different reason, but I'm guessing it could be political, like trying to sabotage or maybe believe in those conspiracy theories and say, hey, I'm going to do my bit to discredit the, to discredit the vaccines. Uh, I don't know. It seems a little weird, but maybe it's plausible. I would, I would challenge that a little bit. The hackers that you and I deal with, Miguel, are professionals. They're, they're professionals. The, mo most of them are working nine to five jobs. They are doing this for a paycheck. They're doing this for a payout. And, and they operate in a very organized way. Um, I work with other hackers as well as other security researchers that are very political. And uh, a lot of what they're doing is against big pharma or against big energy or against, you know, big government. Um, so I, I think it depends on what hackers you end up interacting with. I think a lot of the professionals don't care, right? A lot of the professionals are just like, look, I'm here to make my million dollar in Bitcoin each year. And that's all I care about. Um, but I think that there are some hackers, probably a lot of the younger hackers that get into the game um, because they want to make a political statement. Um, yeah, a lot of people hate pharma. So uh, Pfizer does not have a great name within um, certain groups. And uh, I could very much see hackers trying to break in, steal data and discredit uh, discredit either Pfizer and their reputation or just do it for the lulls, right? Just do it to like make people paranoid and make, you know, uh, just 
pull a big con on people. A lot of hackers do it for, for the, the power, right? So to be able to change a global conversation. The fact that they just didn't steal leaked data, but they altered the data. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, And it's so hard to track or to trace. Like yeah. with all of these... Uh, hacker groups that steal data and then release it, they could subtly alter it. You would never know because the company they're stealing it from is not going to be like, oh, actually, uh, that stolen contract said this and said. So um, usually hackers, so hackers, they operate in this weird position where the only way you really learn about what's going on in certain companies is by looking at leaked data, right? Hackers will leak contracts or hackers will leak like the Panama Papers, right? Um, and so they, they, in one sense, are reporting on a lot of sensitive secret data. Um, and so they're in a position of power to sort of alter it. Um, and so like here, obviously, Pfizer came out and corrected the leaked data. Um, but in many other cases, you know, like the Panama Papers, Panama Papers came out, here's all of these uh, shell corps that are, that are operating. But did the hackers remove a few, right? Did, did they maybe release the Panama Papers, but get a payoff to not re release a few companies? So you, you just never know. All right. Number four is from Independent IE. And the headline reads, U.S. drops extradition request for Irish hacker who stole $2 million in cryptocurrency. Uh, Dublin man, 21 years old, who pleaded guilty in Irish court to theft of Bitcoin, no longer facing possible sentence of 108 years in U.S. jail. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Because I think this is a pretty light uh, you know, outcome for this guy stealing a lot of people's information and money. One of the things I caught from this was that he served just under three years. So he went from 108 to three. Quite a deal. And I, I didn't get from the article that he was a ringleader or anything. <clears throat> um, and I think uh, what I did get from article was that, uh, A, he was already convicted in Ireland. He served a sentence. And he was, quote, very extremely cooperative. So uh, I think he talked. He talked. And uh, I think you're going to see more arrests. He and uh, that's why you went from 108 to three years. I have a question, though. He stole 2 million Bitcoin? Really? Just just 2 million. <laughs> I, that's I, what he reported on his I, taxes. <laughs> yeah. I think he returned 2 million. <laughs> I think he returned two million, and he's serving out three years. Um, I've mentioned it before. Vice has a great uh, episode talking about sim swapping. Uh, sim swapping. So, like in terms of making money, like ransomware gangs, like right under it, sim swapping. Uh, sim swapping you can do with just very under. barely under. Just just under. Sim swapping you can do with very little technical knowledge. It's basically social engineering. Um, yes. And uh, you can make tens of millions. You can empty bank accounts. Um, 
you you can destroy lives and i don't see a successful sim swapper stopping at two million so um i would be very skeptical uh but even then like you know i guess in theory, if he gave all the money back and he's only doing three years, is three years really a lot? I don't think it's a lot, not for destroying lives. But you have to understand that hackers keep their wealth in Bitcoin. And it's been a 2020 was a great year for hackers. Probably if anyone won 2020, those hackers. Well, I'll tell you what, who, who didn't pan out very well for in our number five story after judge orders release of hacker tied to isis u.s says not so fast um, since 2016 ardit Faritzi, a kosovan national has been serving a 20-year prison sentence for providing details about 1300 u.s military and government personnel to the islamic state terrorist group you, you lost me at hacker for isis <clears throat> so Good. I, I think if there's a hacker for ISIS in jail, good. The article insinuated he was in jail, he was doing for the ISIS thing. And then while he was in jail, he asked relatives to do more illegal stuff. That's pretty dumb. Um, hackers for ISIS. Yeah, like... I don't think anyone is in support of that. Miguel, like, have you ever encountered a hacker for ISIS that said, I'm doing it for the lulls? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. And I'm, and I'm glad that did not happen because definitely ISIS is the last thing that I wanted to encounter, whether it's a mechanic, a hacker, or a soldier. I mean, I, those are people that you everybody should be extremely careful with. So in agreement... We don't think ISIS is doing it for the lulls. No. I, yes. <clears throat> Conclusion I, is uh, we do not like hackers uh, for ISIS. It reminds me a lot cars for kids. You know, cars for kids. Cars for kids. No, stop. The jingle. Uh, um, hackers for ISIS is a much less catchy jingle. Hey, good to chat. Wait or you know, crack those forums that we visit all the time. Maybe it'll catch up. Yeah, I feel like even normal hacker groups would be like, you're hacking for ISIS? Like, let, me, <clears throat> let me not do that. Well, uh, that's been an episode of Bourbon and Breaches. If you enjoyed what you saw today, uh, please like, subscribe, and comment. Oh boy, you should comment. Uh, and if you have a bourbon that you want us to cover, please comment and let us know. If you have a breach you want us to cover, please also comment and let us know. Uh, until next time, cheers.